Please join me in prayer. Lord God, thank you so much that your name is the rock that we could anchor our lives to, that no matter what kind of storm we might find ourselves in, some might right now be in the middle of just some confusing situations, or like Craig was referring to, some circumstances that maybe aren't as we would wish, yet you remain present, you remain faithful, and when our eyes get so onto our circumstances, Lord, may we, we dare to look up and get a heavenly perspective of maybe some things we're going through. And so, Lord, uh, we pray as we begin the new year together as a family of faith, do what you want done in us collectively as this local body of believers we call Grace Spring Bible Church. Do your work. Lord, thank you for all these age groups that are represented here today. And Lord, I pray especially for this young generation, a generation that is turning from you in droves. Lord, I pray that the power of your word will penetrate their hearts, that they could take this with them where they go out into a world growing increasingly hostile to the name Jesus, especially the exclusivity of the name of Jesus Christ for salvation. Lord, give us courage, we pray. In your holy name, and all God's people said, amen. Please be seated. I'm so glad we could start off the year together. Um, we knew there was going to be a lot of people on vacation, yet at the same time, there is nothing like coming together. First day of the year. Because God has called this group of people, there's a Greek word. Do you know the Greek word that um, we, we, we kind of get our idea of church from? Do you know what that word is? Ekklesia. Have you heard that word before? I know we don't speak Greek, but ekklesia. What's fascinating about the word ekklesia is in Greek, especially in Corinth, the, the city we're going to be studying about here for about seven months out of this calendar year, we are doing a deep dive in the book of 1 Corinthians. But in Corinth, um, ekklesia was the city council. Did you know that? The city council, what is the role of a city council? And that is to make laws and to uh, govern um, and make decisions regarding that particular city. And so what the ecclesia would do is they would uh, be on the Bema seat. The Bema seat we're going to, through the series, show you archaeological pictures of these uh, particular places that have been excavated, but the Bema seat was kind of, it's called the judgment seat. And I know if you've been around church a while, you know that the judgment seat often is referred to the place like in the Olympics or the Isthmian Games where runners or those in competition would get awarded based on their performance. But that was only one aspect of the Bema seat in the city square. It was a place for instruction to be given. It was a place for even condemnation to happen. If you broke the law, you, could, uh, you would go onto the Bema seat and in front of everybody, you would have that judgment pronounced and maybe even lashes with a whip in front of the town. But again, there was instruction, there was uh, condemnation, but there was commendation, commendation for the work that you did. And, and what I think is very fascinating is that 
the Apostle Paul, who, who God used to plant churches, called the church the ecclesia, almost the city council. Those that were giving a foreshadowing of ruling and reigning with Christ, as the book of Revelation says, we will be doing one day. We as Christ followers will be ruling and reigning with him. Don't know exactly what that looks like other than God has called the church to be the ecclesia to give this world a glimpse of heaven, heaven on earth, and to give people hope and a glimpse of glory. Do you think our world needs that from the church today? Absolutely. But we are about ready to enter into a very hard-hitting book of the Bible that is often not taught in churches today. And I'll tell you why. Because books like this have statements like this, which is not popular. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's not very popular today because we find ourselves on that list somewhere, don't we? I think we all can. And so we're going to study texts like this that are not politically correct. But here's what we at Grace Spring Bible Church bank on. The truth of Jesus' statement in John chapter 6, verse 63, that says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Now, here's what that means. Your intellect is of no help at all. Your skills are no help at all in allowing yourself to be called by God. The Holy Spirit of God has called you, has called us. If you've said yes to him, it's because the Holy Spirit of God has called you. It's not because you've impressed God somehow. But what is amazing just before that statement is kind of the circumstances that are really going to prepare our hearts for communion here today as a church family before we get into God's Word. And that is Jesus fed the 5,000. I mean, it was a miracle. I mean, just five loaves, two fish. There were 12 basketfuls left over. It's like, how in the world does that happen? Hey, it just says, Jesus blessed it, and he kept multiplying, and everything he touched just kept multiplying, 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 to where there was leftovers. And it seemed like, wait, there was hardly any there to begin with. How could there be that much leftover? And so people were hugely impressed by this miracle. And so they followed Jesus after that. In fact, Jesus walked on water, and, and there was a story of him going on the other side of the lake, and the crowds found out that he went on the other side, and so they went also why? Because Jesus could give them something for free. They were after his gifts. They were after, oh, this, if this guy can do this, then we want to make him our king. And so in John chapter 6, what happens? John chapter 6, he's, he's, uh, he knows that the crowds are not following him for the right reasons. And so then he says stuff like this. 
Unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. Now, how would you take that? I mean, think about this. It's just like, what? I mean, what are you cannibalistic? What is the deal? But in John chapter 6, Jesus says those words. Unless you eat of me or drink my blood, you have no part of me. I think the point he was getting at was this. You are what you eat. Have you ever heard that phrase before? You are what you eat. I think so many people in the church can be under the word of God so much that you taste it, but you just don't swallow it and let the word of God get into you. And so we as a church, we enter into a very sacred moment, this time of communion. And we're going to partake as a family of faith together to kick off this year right. And so we're going to do that by releasing you to go and get the elements back in the tables. In the container, if you have gluten issues, need gluten-free, there's gluten-free bread in the containers. But we ask that you just take this time to, to really evaluate your heart. Do you really find yourself so bought into Jesus Christ that you're just saying, hey, I, I, I want to take him in. <laughs> I want to fully take him in as I would take in bread or any other kind of nourishment that I will take it in, chew, swallow, let it become a part of me. That's what Jesus is saying. Hey, unless you eat from me, you have no part of me. And so as you get the elements, come back to your seat. Um, Again, wait so we could all partake together. But evaluate your heart. Where are you right now? First day, 2023. Reflect on 2022. What steps do you need to make in 2023 to allow the Holy Spirit of God to work powerfully in you so that he can work powerfully through you? Amen? So let's get up, let's uh, get the elements, and then we will go into this time together. I hope those of you who are at home um, would also join in. You know, church family, let's take the bread. Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you, which is for you and you and you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then you took the cup. It says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink, church. Thank you, Lord. It is this bread and this cup that are to unite us as a people of faith. Oh, there's so many things out there that want to divide us, but Lord, please, 
please, we pray that your Holy Spirit continues to knit souls together so that we can walk in unison in the mission that you have set before us, helping people take a step closer to Jesus, Lord. We pray in your most holy and precious name. Amen. I'm so excited for this new series. If you haven't gotten growth guides, could you please get this? Again, the team did a masterful job, masterful job of putting this together. And when I look through it, I go, you know, the only mistake I see is the input from the pastor's letter, which says that Corinth was uh, launched here during Paul's first missionary journey, and it was not his first, it was his second. Okay, so will you forgive me for that? Yeah, I have uh, yet to uh, tell the team that put this all together. He said, you did what? You got the wrong missionary journey? Hey, you know what? I don't know how, um, but it happens. But this is such a great resource for you. Um, and I hope those of you who don't get this here, uh, this tangible booklet, um, will make sure to look at this digitally because the teams that put this together just did a masterful job and really... We want to be in this book, 1 Corinthians, for about seven months out of this year. We want to encourage you to do a deep dive of God's Word because we at Grace Spring Bible Church, we just know that it's only through the authoritative, inspired Word of God that we will truly live in the freedom that God calls us to experience and, and live distinct. And so with that, um, I want you to uh, turn in your Bibles to page 1102. If you don't have a Bible, get one under the seat back in front of you. We're going to look at least at, at uh, the launch of this church in Corinth, but we want to uh, kind of give you a, an idea of this <coughs> excuse me, particular church and uh, the challenges. Because this series we've entitled here for... Uh, the next uh, number of weeks is Contend for Unity. Contend for Unity. Why is that such an important thing in today's day when it comes to our faith, when it comes to church? Because the enemy who wants to destroy um, life in us, I mean, really, it says... In uh, John 10, 10, that the enemy seeks to uh, um, kill and steal and destroy, does not want the best for you, and the enemy has always had a, uh, a very successful strategy, and that is this, divide and conquer, divide and conquer. And see, when those outside the church look at Christians inside the church, and they see nothing much different from that of a society, um, it really, really um, diminishes our mission of being able to proclaim um, and give people a glimpse of glory of heaven on earth. And so with that, um, let's get to know this area a little bit. Corinth. Um, here is in the area of modern-day Greece, and there was this isthmus. See, uh, an isthmus is um, a strip of land connecting two uh, larger 
bodies of a landmass. And uh, that mountainous area, the main part of your slide there that you can see, the mountainous area is the Peloponnesian mountain range, very hilly part. And Corinth in the day of Paul was the capital of that region of Greece. But see, if you go to the east, you see Athens and uh, and that's where Paul was prior to the planting of this particular church in Corinth. Um, what was popular, why Corinth was such a popular city, is because of that. Um, there were two harbors on each side of the city. There was four mile distance between those two harbors. And so if you can, by chance, see this uh, red dot. Can you see the dot? Can you? Okay, can't see it. Okay. The, uh, any trade that went from Egypt up through Italy would go through these kinds of points. And so um, they would come up to that harbor and it was very treacherous the ocean, uh, the sea around the southern portion of that landmass up on the screen. There would be horrible storms that would uh, um, destroy ships like crazy. So um, it was a 200-mile distance from that point all the way around to the next point if you were sail from point to point. But it was only a four-mile distance if you use the platforms that were built and you can unload your ships, you can uh, then haul those uh, goods to the places of trade, and you can then take your boat and haul it on these platforms for about four-mile distance. And so this was a very common occurrence. And so Corinth, because of that, became a very popular city of trade. It was a cosmopolitan area. It was about greater than 200,000 people lived here in this area from all over the world. A lot of influences there in Corinth. And so... Um, over time, the emperors of Rome go, hey, it sure would be nice to have a canal. Well, even Emperor Nero wanted to start doing a canal so ships could just sail from uh, uh, those two uh, harbors. But Nero and uh, his um, empire fell, fell. So anyway, it wasn't until 1893 where this canal was finished, and so that's kind of what that canal looks like to get today. It connects uh, these two um, seas, the Adriatic Sea with the Aegean Sea, and so with that, um, you have that this is a bustling city, and with all of the different influences, um, you had the worship of many, many different kinds of gods here. In fact, I think there was about 26 different temples when Paul was in this city. In fact, these are remains. These are seven of the columns that were part of the 38 columns of the temple to Apollo. And so, again, the temple was majestic. It was big. Why? To reflect the God that was being worshipped there. As you noticed in our um, setup here, you look like, you know, it looks like a temple has fallen. Well, it's because the impact of the church was really being hampered by the behavior of those within the church. Well, in the very same way, 
these, uh, this particular temple had most of the columns up until the 19th century when a really bad earthquake hit this area. And in fact, the population of that city is greatly diminished from what it used to be. It was a flourishing place um, on and off from the 7th century BC all the way until the 19th century AD. So this was a very, very popular area. But I want you to notice the hill on the back of uh, if you look through the temple to that mountain, that mountain was known as the Acro Corinth. It was the upper ground so that if the city was ever invaded, they could go up to the top of this mountain, which is about 2,000 feet high, um, higher in elevation. And at the top of that mountain, you have these springs. These springs, I mean, were natural springs at the very top of the hill, so you could have a whole bunch of people congregate in that area for a long time, and there was plenty of water supply. So it made Corinth a great place to be, but also at the top of that hill was the temple to Aphrodite. The temple of Aphrodite was, Aphrodite was celebrated by the Greeks as the goddess of love, fertility, lust, pleasure. And during the time of Paul, there was about 1,000 temple prostitutes. And so attending worship services were meeting up with prostitutes. And these prostitutes would also not limit their services to the temple worship up the hill. They would also come down and make the journey down the hill. And so um, if you've ever been on the Disney ride, the Pirates of the Caribbean, and you've seen the pirates chasing the women and everyone's drunk and all that kind of stuff. That is what the reputation was of Corinth. In fact, there's this idea that what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. That was how Corinth was. However, there was another side to Corinth and that was sophistication. Sophistication in that the language to speak in a Corinthian style was to have incredible great oratory skills. In fact, it was more important how you communicated what you communicated than even the message itself, which really led to one of the big divisions in the church that Paul eventually planted. Because there were those who say, hey, I like Apollos' preaching. And that's the preaching I go for. So if ever anybody else is preaching, I'm not going to be in church that Sunday. But when Apollos is preaching, I want to hear him preach. Why? Because he has incredible oratory skills. This is why you read statements like this in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul says this about himself in verse 4. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So here he is acknowledging, he says, I don't speak as well as Apollos. However, my speech is to be received in the demonstration of the power of God. So throughout this series, we're going to be confronted with different things that were splitting and dividing the church. And one was favoritism amongst those who were teaching. The reputation of Corinth, um, again, in its sophistication, 
wonderful bronze works. In fact, they became known in the Roman Empire as that's where you want to get your bronze. They could put it in various colors. In fact, the temple in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount had two huge columns of the beautiful gate that were Corinthian bronze that looked like gold. And so, that came from this area. Architecture. In fact, if you go anywhere in the Roman Empire today, you will see these huge columns, and they are Corinthian columns, usually about six foot in diameter, about 24 foot height on average of uh, many of these. And so the architecture, Corinthian architecture, was really popular. Sports. The Isthmian Games happened every two years. And again, um, athletes would come all over the world. So one year they would do the Olympics, and then they would come to the Isthmian Games. The uh, community of Isthmia was uh, to the east of Corinth itself. But again, um, we will see through this series just different excavations that have been done archaeologically, and you will see what Paul was referring to in his writings on some of these, um, which I think will be very fascinating. In fact, Paul will use the imagery of sports um, because of the influence, knowing that that would connect with his listener there in Corinth. But also, as I said before, immorality was huge here huge. And so how do you become a church filled with a holy people in such a unholy, godless environment? And I think that's the same question for us here for this series. Because the calling of the Holy Spirit of God on his church, and that is for his church, his bride, to be distinct from the world. So I think this series is really going to help us. So now let's get to our uh, text today that's going to set the framework for next week as we really launch into the book of 1 Corinthians. I encourage you this week, start studying for sure the first eight verses of um, 1 Corinthians for next week. But uh, here, let's talk through this passage of Acts 18. Um, let's see how far we get today. It says, after this. Well, after what? Paul had been through a lot. On his second missionary journey before coming to Corinth, he went to this uh, uh, town called Thessalonica. And what was Paul's practice was to go into the Jewish synagogues on a Saturday, open up the scriptures of Isaiah, Ezekiel, and be able to inform them of Jesus being the fulfilled promised Messiah who satisfied those prophecies. That was his business, in fact. So there would be Jews in the synagogue, but also there was a place um, for Gentiles to at least listen in to um, what was being taught there in the Jewish synagogue. So what Paul did in Thessalonica was he was teaching that Jesus was the Messiah. There was such an uprising there that they kicked him, the Jews kicked him out of Thessalonica. He went to a community, Berea, but those Jews followed him down to Berea. And so then he went down to Athens. In Athens, that's the story where there were all these gods, but he found this one that was uh, 
uh, an inscription to the unknown God, and he used that as a connecting point to say, hey, I want to speak of this unknown God of which you refer to, but I know that unknown God. But even in this connecting point there, the text does not say that there was a huge response to his message. So he was a little bit discouraged, been going city to city, and so now... This is the after this, after he came, it says, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Now, historically, this is a fact. In AD 49, 49 AD, this happened. What was behind all this? It's because those who were Christ followers had ticked off the Jews who were in Rome, and there was almost like a riot happening there, and uh, Claudius did not want to see this happen again, so he kicked the Jews out of Rome. It says Aquila and his wife Priscilla were one of uh, a couple who was kicked out. Well, you might go, well, if Paul hadn't been to Rome yet, how were there Christians in Rome? Well, remember Pentecost? Remember that time where Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, gave a sermon, 5,000 come to faith? Well, what had brought people from all over the world was Passover. And now these who had uh, been informed of Jesus rising from the dead went back to their cities and people came to faith. So this is how you have Paul, who probably needs the encouragement, and now he meets up with Aquila and Priscilla. And he went to see them, and verse 3 says, And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. Now, do you remember where Paul was from? Paul of... Tarsus. Tarsus was a city in the Cilician um, province, and uh, the province of Cilicia. But there was Cilician black goats that were bred for their black hair that would be used for tent making. So Paul learned how to be a tent maker, but more specifically, he was a leather worker. And so in Paul's writings, he brings that up in his writings time and time again, where he says, rightly divide the word of truth. That was tent-making terminology for cut a straight line so that these patterns can be put together so that a tent can be fashioned. That was tent-making terminology. So Tent makers were popular in this area because of the Isthmian Games. Whenever the athletes would come from all over the world, they needed tents in which to stay. So therefore, that was Paul's trade, yet he reasoned in the synagogues every Saturday. As verse 4 says, he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Remember, there were Jews and Gentiles in synagogues. He was trying to persuade them. Why would he try to persuade them? 
Well, because we all could use some sitting down and opening up the scriptures in the very same way that the resurrected Jesus on the road to Emmaus opened up the scriptures to the disciples who were overwhelmed with all that they had seen. They didn't see a resurrected Jesus yet. They didn't even recognize the resurrected Jesus walking with them. But their eyes were opened when the scriptures were opened up. That's why we at Grace Spring Bible Church are heavy on opening up God's word. Because the psalmist says in Psalm 19, verse 7 through 11, says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. You see, so that is what's driving Paul. He's just saying, the scriptures point us to Jesus We have said two years ago when we went through the Bible, cover to cover, Genesis through Revelation, every page points to Jesus and who he is and that life is found in him. So now let's continue reading on. In Acts 18, starting in verse 5, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. He was discouraged time and time again. These Jews were rejecting what scripture seems so clear, but the Holy Spirit of God had not yet opened their hearts to receive. And he left there and went to the house of a man named uh, Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. And notice where his house was, next door to the synagogue. Well, how great is that? The synagogue, those who just can't stand your message, now you're living next door to them. It says, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. They believed in the resurrected Jesus Christ and that life is found in him. But my, oh my, did they not realize the battle that would be ahead. And so notice in verse 9, it says, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid. Okay, in the vision, by opening with do not be afraid, what is the implication that Paul's afraid? In fact, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Um, verse 3, Paul confesses to this church, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. I get encouraged when I see these heroes of the faith that can be as scared as I get at times. And here is the one 
who is getting this vision from the Lord that says, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. So here's the encouragement from Jesus himself in a vision appearing to Paul saying, my presence is going to be with you. My protection is going to be over you. You don't have to worry in this city about going through what you had to in some of the other cities. This was not a blanket promise for other cities. This was a promise for him in his time in Corinth. And then he gives assurances. There's many in the city who will come to faith through your word. You're, discour- you're discouraged now. You just keep doing what I've called you and commissioned you to do. Verse 11 says, And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. I want to stop there this morning. Um, because as you read on, again, there was just some, some, some problems and uh, different things that they had to work through. But through those, there are those like a guy by the name of Erastus who comes to faith. Now, archaeology has found uh, in the, I think, 1929, they found this inscription in a stone that, of the name Erastus. And uh, Erastus, when you looked at history, um, he was the city treasurer at the time of Paul. Now, in Corinth, it was possible for you to buy your way into the public seat. And so, obviously, he had purchased his way to be the city treasurer. And it was customary that when you finished doing that role that you were doing, you would give a particular gift. Again, the only way you could get to these positions was through your wealth. And this guy, Erastus, um, obviously had the kind of wealth because this name was inscribed on a... um, a, a stone roadway connecting the theater to the um, agora, the, the shopping area of Corinth. And it was very customary that you would inscribe the one who paid for that endeavor would have their name memorialized. And that's where we have this name Erastus. So it's really fun to read the scripture and then say, hey, archaeology has shown that even the historical facts are true, reminding us that Corinth was a very real city. Themes that this series will touch on. One is the priority of distinct living, living distinctly from the world. Young people, this is a challenge. I know it's a challenge. You are going to be harassed for taking stands that do not line up with our culture. I'm just telling you. And I praise God that I had a youth pastor and a church that so poured the truth of God's word that when I went to a secular university, that it was like I wasn't scared at all to go into the lines then, so to speak, of philosophical thought that I would at times meet with professors and say, really, you believe that? What is the basis? And, uh, and I was able to bring truth uh, of the word of God in those kind of situations. But I see so many young people today, they're thrown into the world and it's like, man, I, I, wow, um, this is majority opinion, it must be right. And so this book is hard-hitting 
And I would encourage you, stay along and dig in God's word yourself. Two is the importance of Christian unity. There's so many things dividing the church of Jesus Christ today. So many things. It breaks my heart. We're going to find out and investigate those things that we need to be united on in those areas that, hey, it's okay for us to have disagreements over that, but we must be united so that we can be on mission together. You see these great football teams in bowl season? People, you know, sorry, Big Ten fans. It's a sad day for Big Ten fans. But uh, a statement I kept hearing, especially of the TCU football team under a first-year coach, was that all the players bought in. All the players bought in. All the players bought in. We don't live in that day. That doesn't happen very often today. It's like, I'll buy into what I want to buy into, but I'm going to call my own shots, and you never get a winning team that way. That's why the importance of Christian unity. Uh, Next, connecting the gospel with culture. That's why we're doing that, that class on a Sunday morning starting January 22nd. In the very same way Paul connected the gospel with culture, we want you also to be prepared with the challenges of life in this culture and how to take a stand for truth in a way that is filled with grace, yet having the courage to be able to stand up. Lastly, honoring God with your body. Honoring God with your body. It breaks my heart when I talk to pastor friends around the country that you talk about purity issues before marriage and people look at you like, are you crazy? What century do you live in? Well, we're going to talk about honoring God with your body. So um, in the same imagery of Ezekiel 47, where we are to be channels of blessing, it all starts from the temple and it trickles and gets momentum from the temple. Um, I would encourage you through this series, ankle deep, if you want to just wait ankle deep, open your Bible each week. Just read the text ahead. Be ready so that when we're able to discuss it, your growth guide has a good map of how to do that. You want to get in deeper water? Good. Take notes. You remember more when you write things down. Um, waist deep, going deeper, do that apologetics class, the the foundations of Christianity. Um, Dare to do that, especially you young people. I would encourage you to do that because we want to equip you to be ready to thrive out there in this world. And then if you want to go deeper, pray, invest, invite. Pray for somebody that God has put on your heart that you could spend time praying for them and investing in them and maybe using the table to persuade as Paul gave his life to persuade. We need to be reminded of the words of Jesus also in John 6, who said, look out, look at the harvest. Actually, it might have been John 3. John 3, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. But the harvest is there. It's ready for the taking. I think in our day today, people are looking for something better than what uh, humanism has provided. And we've got the message. So the big idea is dare to live, work, and use your godly influence in strategic places in the world. Find where is where do your, your interests lie and how might you be able to be the gospel in those locations to stir up some friendships in those locations and remember that the greatest fulfillment you will ever have is when you or an agreement with the calling of God on your life. That's where the joy is found. And as we said Christmas Eve, remember Mary and Joseph? 
Man, they did not have an easy task. They were misunderstood. It's like, yeah, right, I was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. They had a very difficult journey ahead, but they were right smack in the center of God's will. Do you mean God would lead me to a place that is uncomfortable from time to time? That I could be misunderstood from time to time? Yes. But for us to be able to be effective in this, we need to be a church of prayer. And so I'm going to encourage us in closing out and praying for us as we begin this new year, but also for this church during this series, there's going to be a lot of opposition. There's going to be a lot of distraction. We live in a day where, again, pastors are getting away from the Word of God to do more TED Talks because that's what people like and prefer. We here are just going to say, we're just going to keep allowing the Holy Spirit of God to work through the teaching that is from God's Word and just trust the Holy Spirit of God with the results. And that's what we're going to be granted on. So I would encourage us to get up and get in groups of five to eight or whatever. And I would encourage you to pray for these three things. One is the humility and teachability. There's going to be some things that God's word is going to convict your heart about that you're going to be going, oh man, I've already had my mind made up on this issue. No, we've got to be informed by the scripture as if reading it for the very first time. Um, we need to have the courage to stand strong. Man, I tell you, young people, you are going to be harassed like crazy. I know I was in college, harassed like crazy. You're not doing this. You're not doing this. Nope. Why not? Because I'm a child of the king. And life is not found in what you were doing. But I'm not going to not hang around you. I'm just going to hopefully be close enough to you where you will always get a glimpse of what kingdom living is like. And it doesn't make me better than you. It just makes me one who looks forward to eternity ruling and reigning with Christ. Not because I'm on a power trip, but because my king informed me that's going to be what I'll be doing for my eternity. So I might as well get ready now. Right? We're the ecclesia. You were called into that. And then willingness to stand united. A willingness to stand united. You know, can we, for the next five minutes or so, just get up, move around. You can move around this place and then we'll close with a song. But let's get up and let's be the people of faith that call out to God right now, Lord, we need your help. Can we do that? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's get up. Let's pray in groups.